You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Back to the Basics. You weren't meant to walk the Christian journey alone. Surrounding ourselves with people who desire after God with their heart is what it takes to cross the finish line with strength. We're in week two of this series called Back to the Basics. And uh, we have a lot of people, and we do not take this for granted, by the way. We have a lot of people, um, we've had a lot of people over the last couple weeks who have made first-time decisions to accept Christ as their Savior. And so what we want to strive to do is provide a proper foundation or platform for them uh, and for us as a church to kind of gravitate towards these just kind of basic principles. Now, basic doesn't mean, uh, you know, basic doesn't mean just like, oh, it's no big deal. No, these are basic foundational principles. Last week, we spent time talking about Scripture, the importance of reading Scripture daily, knowing Scripture, memorizing it. And today, we're going to talk about prayer, which maybe on the nose sounds a little boring. I don't know what your prayer life is like. I don't know what you think about when you think about prayer. Maybe when you think about prayer, you think about um, your grandfather who used to pray. I know for me, growing up in church, my dad's a pastor, and uh, for a little while, we lived in Maine. I don't know if you know that or not, but we lived in Maine, and we attended a church where my dad preached, and it, it's, it's like the classic church, like classic uh, New England church. It was this wooden church with a with this big steeple, and there was a big bell in the steeple. I kid you not. I used to, I, I got in trouble actually, like big time. One time when I was little, I was like six or seven years old, and I ran to the top of the steeple. And I, I promise you, there's a gigantic rope that hangs from the bell, and there's a latch that locks this little you know, this little door and you get up into and you ring the bell for whatever reason. Well, I, I like broke the lock and I got up there and I just started yanking on the bell, which by the way is incredibly loud throughout the whole town and I got in big trouble. But anyway, I remember how men used to pray in that church and that kind of like formed a, a, a picture of prayer for me. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the, the very holy prayers, like the, our father, oh thou art, oh thou, you know, those kind of prayers. Come on, don't, don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. Like the prayers, you're like, wow, they, they, that's a prayer. That's like, that's like a legit prayer. Like that person really knows how to throw it down talking to God. You know, they'll stand up and use words that you don't even normally hear in your everyday language. Like thou art amongst us, O Father. And you're like, whoa, amongst. That's a big word, right? You get excited. So today I want to talk about what it really looks like to pray. To, to pray. Does it look like that? Or does it look a little different. And I'm going to open up with the book of Revelation, which might kind of seem like a strange which might kind of seem like a strange place to start, but it gives us a picture of the throne room of God. And that's where I want to start our conversation today. Okay? Are you with me? Are we going to do this together? Yes? Yes? You're going to have to give me a little more. Yes? You with me? All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 2. It says that once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. So we're in the throne room of God now. With one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Watch this now. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. 
full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him as seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The book of Revelation is penned by a man named John, and John is talking about an experience that he had where he was in the throne room of God. We see a similar explanation of the throne room of God in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah caught up in the throne room of God. It says that there was smoke and fire and God filled the place. And it says the train of his robe like flowed through the entire place. And it says that he steps into the throne room of God. It says he immediately falls to his knees. And he says, woe to me, for I am undone. Woe to me, for I am truly unclean. Woe to me, for for my sins have found me out. I cannot be in this immaculate, amazing presence. When you encounter God in your time of prayer, is this the type of encounter you have? See, here we're describing the throne room of God, but, but I would say we need to change our expectations when we speak with God, when we have the opportunity to talk to God. In fact, if you're taking notes, I would challenge you to write this down. We are nerdy like that. We like to take notes. And uh, we're a church that worships in spirit and, and in truth. Um, so write this down. Number one, here's the first thing. When it comes to prayer, we need to understand where we're stepping. We need to understand where we are stepping. Now, as a parent with five kids, like where I step is kind of important in my house. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah? You don't really know what you're going to step into. It might be sticky, might be sharp, might hurt, might be slippery. I don't really know, and I don't really know what it is, and I don't really want to know what it is. But I can tell you this. I got four boys, and uh, they all love Legos, and, uh, which is fantastic and terrifying. Because when I walk into their bedrooms at night, um, when it's dark, that just made me sound really creepy, by the way, um, when I go and terrify my kids. No, like... When I, when I check on them at night to make sure they're, you know, still there or whatever, um, here's the problem. I know I'm entering into a battlefield. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like a landmine field that I'm walking into. I have to step so carefully. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because there could be the sharpest Lego that's going to puncture my foot, literally, because that happens a lot. And so I'm, like, very careful, like, when I step, I'm very, I'm like, because it's dark, and I'm kind of feeling around with my foot. I'm very intentional with where I walk. Likewise, when we pray, we need to be intentional in knowing what we're stepping into. 
Man, if we could grab onto the air and just, and just pull it back, which I know sounds absurd, right? But there is a greater reality than what we see right before us. Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, man, listen, all that you see is not all there is. The people around you, that's not who your enemy would be. The flesh is not your enemy. Know that there is a, there is a, there is a power that's greater. There's a darkness. There's a spiritual force in this world that even though you cannot see it, is there. And that reality is happening all around us. And and, and scripture gives us this indication. It says that we are to come boldly before the throne and to bring our prayers and petitions to God. So understand this. This is the understanding. When we pray, we are approaching the throne of God. I just let that sink in for a minute. We just got a description of the throne of God. This massive throne, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's colors, there's some kind of a sea, there's all these elders that are throwing crowns down, there's these gigantic angels, these called, they're called seraphim, this amazing thing. All that is taking place when you bow your head and say, dear God, bless these Cheerios to my body, in Jesus' name, amen. That's literally what is happening <laughs> Maybe not Cheerios. Sorry to offend you there. I heard someone go, ugh, <laughs> sorry. Fill in whatever breakfast food you would rather have. All that is taking place when we talk with our Lord. We need to understand where we are stepping when we pray. Let me ask you, is that what you envision when you pray? Is that when you env- what you envision when you hit your knees, when you talk to God, when you cry out in desperation for help? Do you envision the God of the universe bending his ear to you? Because that's what he's doing. Allowing you access to him. What an incredible, incredible privilege. Scripture tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. I think that if we actually understood where we were stepping, we would pray without ceasing. Number one, we need to understand where we're stepping. Number two, when it comes to prayer, we don't need to just understand where we're stepping. We also need to understand what is taking place. Ah, this is so good. We need to understand what is taking place. Uh, Romans says it like this, the author Paul writes in chapter 8, verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Okay, can we just pause right there? That's a pretty true statement, isn't it? I mean, have you ever prayed for something and then you're glad that God didn't answer that prayer? I mean, Garth Brooks and I, the only one who are on that tip? No? If you don't know who Garth Brooks is, there's plenty of churches around here. You can find one that will accept you. Um... No, 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 no. Like, I know I've prayed for things that I'm glad God didn't answer. Like, I think about some of the people that I dated growing up. And I was like, oh, God, just let this one be the one. And now I'm like, ooh, thanks for not answering that one. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's not mean. That's just real. Come on. Right? We don't even really know what to pray for. We don't even really know how to pray as we ought to pray. And so God fills us with his spirit. Look what it says here. For the spirit himself intercedes for us. Watch this wording. Watch this now. Look at this. With groanings. That's a weird word. You don't hear that word too often in in scripture. 
groanings, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit, say this next word with me, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Then, look at this, over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this in verse 5, but there is one God, in fact, would you just read this with me? I really like this verse. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Oh, come on, let's read that just a little bit louder. The man. So here's the understanding. There's God the Father. There is Jesus Christ who is our mediator. Elsewhere, Scripture calls him our high priest. And then we have the Holy Spirit who is interceding for us, making these groanings too deep for us to understand. You're like, wow, what are you talking about? (laughs) Right? All that is taking place when we pray. All that is taking place when we pray. We have to understand what is taking place when we pray. Let's break this down. What's amazing about Jesus Christ being our mediator is that he's also called our high priest. Now, I just want to kind of like baseline help you understand this. There was a point in time when, when, when priests had to go make atonement for a group of people. In the Old Testament, we read, we read about this, that a priest or these priests would have to go and have to sacrifice animals and the blood would cover people's sins and, and all that kind of stuff, right? And they would have to go before God and, and it would, this would be this, this covering of sin. And then Jesus shows up, thank the Lord. Jesus shows up, is, is, is called the spotless lamb. He dies, he rises again, and he says that, no, now there's no more sacrificing. I did it all. I sacrificed everything. So your sins are covered. If you follow me, you follow me, then your sins are covered. You're forgiven. And we agree with that. We believe that. Amen? Yeah? Yeah. So here's the crazy thing. That means, and, and listen, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to speak some scripture here. But I don't have to go to another human to get forgiveness for my sin. I, I, I don't have to go to another person, no matter how knowledgeable, kind, sweet, caring, uh, intellectual they are. I, 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 I get to go right to God himself. And I don't want no middleman. I don't need a middleman anymore. I don't need a priest apart from the priest. Whew. I don't need to go to somebody and have them tell me what I need to do to make amends for my sin. No, 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 no. No, my debt has been paid. The moment that I met Jesus Christ, the moment that I gave my life to him, he comes to me and says, those sins, those pain, th- that pain, that hurt, that burden, that's now mine. You're forgiven. You're clean. You're washed. You're good. And forgiveness means that no matter what I've done, no matter what I am doing, and no matter what I will do, it is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't have to go make amends with another man. I can go talk with the Savior himself. Amen? I feel like we should be excited about that a little bit. We should be a little excited about that. Jesus is my high priest. Jesus is my high priest. And then here's this weird part, the Holy Spirit. We get like freaked out. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We're like, oh, I don't really know what that is. It's the Holy Spirit thing. And now here's what's amazing. It's God living inside of you. That's what it is. And in fact, you can kind of think about it this way. The Holy Spirit is like a washing machine. You're like, oh, I was with you until what that was. I have no clue. The Holy Spirit takes, and notice Paul says here that we don't know how to pray like the way that we ought to. In other words, like even our greatest prayers are laced with sin. 
And so what the Holy Spirit does is he takes those prayers and he washes them in this theologically interesting way and he cleans them and he polishes them and, and he offers them up as a deep groaning. Elsewhere, Scripture says that he offers them up as a sweet incense, a sweet fragrance to God. So we pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, offers our prayers to Jesus Christ, who then takes our prayers as our high priest and lobbies on our behalf to God. All that is happening when you pray. We have to understand what is taking place, not just what, where we're stepping, but what is actually taking place. Here's a question. If all these amazing things are taking place, I mean, just think about it. We have access to the God who opened his mouth and spoke light. We have access to the God who reached down and, and grabbed a handful of dust, which he created, breathed life into it. We have access to that God at all times. Why is it that we don't take advantage of that? Why is it that we don't pray without ceasing? Why, why is it that we struggle with the discipline of prayer? Why? I think it boils down to a couple things. I wonder if you would agree with me. Number one, I think that we have an unhealthy fear of God. I wonder if we have an unhealthy fear of God. Um, Psalm chapter 111 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Many Proverbs echo the same. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Now you might say like, well, Travis, I, I'm a little confused here because I thought you said that Jesus talked about fear and said that it's not of the Lord. You know, that to rebuke the spirit of fear, and that's, that's not of God. You know, that perfect love casts out all fear, Scripture says. Yes, yes, yes. But, but that's a poor understanding of this word fear because the word fear used here in Psalm 111 is actually this Hebrew word, and I've talked about this before, but it's so good, I love to talk about it. This Hebrew word, Yara. In fact, would you just turn to your neighbor right now? We're going to do a quick Hebrew lesson. Just look at them right now. And just in your most Hebrew voice, just say, Yara. Just say it right now to him. Go ahead. Uh, that was a little more on the Scottish side. But okay, that's good. That's good. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Yara. Okay, whatever. I don't know why I did that. All right. Um, you get my point. So Yara, Yara completely shifts and changes our view of God. Without this word, like, like when it says we should fear God, it, it, it's kind of like this look like, oh, man, I'm, I'm really terrified. I'm really scared. I'm really, oh, he's going to get me. The fear of the Lord. Okay, so i got to be terrified of God, and that's the beginning of all wisdom. Okay, so, all right, you can kill me at any time. This is really scary, right? And listen, this is partially not wrong, by the way. I know that we have this view of God like he's like this, Big old man with a gray beard, very reminiscent of Santa without the suit, you know? He's kind of up there with a harp, smiling, rosy cheeks. I really, I hate to break this to you, God is not cuddly. I, I mean, God is, 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 is not cuddly. God hates things. You realize that? God hates sin, namely. Because it separates him from his creation. God hates it. In fact, look what he did to Christ on the cross. See, we have this idea that God is like this big, cuddly, like bubbly, hey, everybody, like this really happy grandpa. Okay? 
right? Who gives you like, who, who like slips you a dollar bill, you know, to go play at the arcade when your dad says no, you know what I mean? Like, where you go, buddy? You know what I mean? That's like kind of our view of God. It's just not true. It's just not right. Scripture says that it was for joy that God crushed Christ on the cross. Why? Because it was drawing his creation back to him. So yes, there should be a healthy fear, but this word yara doesn't just mean scared, it means something else. In fact, the greater meaning is the word awe. A couple years ago, we, we were down in, in Destin, um, in Florida, and, uh, oh man, this is, a, this is a bad story. And, um, and it's bad because it's true. That's partially why. Most illustrations about my life I make up to make you like me, but this one's actually true. Um, I'm just joking. And, um, no, this one's actually true. So we're down there, and I already have this, like, I don't know why, this, like, terror of, of, like, swimming out further into the ocean that I can touch my toes on the bottom, which isn't that far, by the way. And I'm out there, like, swimming, but my kids challenged my masculinity that day. And so I was determined to swim like a mile out to sea. I just did not care. In fact, there was this other dad who was with me. He had on like a snorkel, and we were like going out, and he's like, how far are we going to go? And I was like, however far you go, I'm going two steps further, buddy. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And so I'm swimming, 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 swimming. Really, we're probably like 10 yards offshore. But anyway, it seemed like really far. So I'm out there, and all of a sudden, (laughs) this fin comes up out of the water. And it, I don't know how far away it was, probably two inches. That's how it seemed, but it was probably 20 yards. And it came up out of the water and went down. And I instantly said some things that I can't say in church. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. I prayed some prayers that I've never prayed before. Okay, we'll just say it that way. Um, and I just froze. Because I was raised on a healthy diet of Shark Week. And I instantly knew what was coming. I instantly knew that this, this fin had gone up and it was now coming at me and I was going to die. I knew it was going to happen. I just knew it was going to happen. And so I froze with fear. True story. And then I saw it was a little farther away and I was like, okay. And I just start going slowly, you know, back to shore like this. And then I see the fin a little closer and I am just terrified have you ever had one of those moments where you're just like, it's just pure terror. You're out of your body. Your, your blood is cold. It was literally like that. And then I saw the thing come up out of the water a little more, and it was a gigantic baby dolphin. I could hear my daughter from the shore saying, go, Daddy, get the dolphin. I was like, oh, and I'm just swimming back as fast as I can, right? And it's this moment there where I was, as soon as I knew it was a dolphin, I... I had this moment where I was in terror, but like also in awe. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments. I have some friends who kayak, and they were talking about a time when they were kayaking out in the, the water, and a whale came up and slammed down next to them. They said, we were just, we just, we were stunned. It was the scariest, most awesome thing ever. Or, or maybe you have some friends who hike, and, and they said, we were, went to the top of this mountain, we saw the sunset, the sunrise, and, and then we saw the stars, and we were just like, wow. That's an understanding of Yara. When it comes to God, we are in reverent awe. We are in reverent respect. Yes, there is fear there because we are in the presence of the almighty God, the same God who opened his mouth and galaxies and stars came forth. But it's also the same God who sent his son to die for us so he could get us. 
who loves us unconditionally. The same God who says, no matter how far you go, I'll never stop chasing you. No matter what you've done, you're never too far away from me. I love you right now. I love you today the same as I've always loved you perfectly. It's not a love dependent on you. It's a love dependent on me. That same God, we step back and we say, wow, I'm in awe. I think some of us don't have that healthy fear of God. We have an unhealthy view, maybe, of God. I've talked about this a little bit before, but I think it bears repeating. I think partially that's because we get our view of God primarily from our earthly fathers. And for many of us, we didn't have good fathers growing up, did we? For many of us, we had absent fathers. For many of us, we had fathers where we seemed like we were a burden to them or we were an annoyance to them. You go to your father, and you just want some time as a young man, as a young lady, and you're always pestering them. You're always bothering them. And so now when you think about going to your heavenly father, you don't want to bother him. I would go to God, but I don't want to bug him. I would go to God, but he's got so much going on. You know, I, just, I would go to God, but I don't want him to be mad at me. yet. I would confess my sin, but, oh, he's going to be so angry. Because some of us were raised with fathers who were, who were too much the disciplinarian. Do you hear me? They pushed that line a little too far. And so now maybe your view of God is that he's going to be angry with you. And he's going to discipline you for what you've done. Because you deserve it. Or maybe as an absent father. And at home you grew up with this, there's no dad at all. And now you even wonder, okay, God, he's not even there. Don't see you. See, I challenge you to reflect on the way that you view your earthly father and see if it doesn't line up in some way to the view that you have of your heavenly father. I think one of the reasons that we don't approach a healthy prayer life and the discipline of prayer is, number one, out of an unhealthy view of God. Number two, and this one kind of goes hard, so hang tight, okay? Yes? Okay. This is a challenging one. I think this is the second obstacle to a healthy prayer life. Number two, and I would sum it up by saying this, functional Christian atheism. Functional Christian atheism. What is functional Christian atheism? Functional Christian atheism is basically when you would show up to church, be a decent person, be a good person. You might serve in a church. You might help in a church. You might even give money to a church. And maybe you even recognize the Bible and Jesus as good. You say, man, there's some good principles in that book. There's some principles to live by. But when it comes down to it, you don't know Christ. When it comes down to it, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And no matter how many times you show up to church and how many times you show up to a Christmas event or an Easter event, no matter how much money you give or how much money you give away to charity or to drill wells or to build this or build that hospital or do that or not say those words or not watch those movies or not listen to that music, no matter how often you do that, no amount of being good can save you. No amount of it. Listen, Jesus didn't come to save good people. He came to save dead people. He came to save broken people. He, sa he came to save lost people. Scripture says that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And the concern that I have is that this cancerous disease has entered into our churches and into our society. Functional Christian atheists. We don't have 
true relationship with Christ. In fact, that's why we don't pray. We don't see the need for it. That's why we don't read, unless we're guilt-tripped into it. We don't see the need for it. Yeah, there's some good principles to live by. There's some good ideas and good, good things there to take away, but we apply them where we need to. And we say, yeah, Jesus had good words to live by. You ever have a conversation like that? Man, Jesus has some good words, doesn't he? Here's the problem. Um, Jesus' words weren't just good words to live by. Jesus' words were words to die by. The call to follow Jesus is a call to death. The call to Christ is a call to crucify your flesh. Now, I know that this is strong, and I love you. My greatest nightmare is that you show up to church every Sunday, that you volunteer every Sunday, that you sacrificially give financially and with your time, that you serve and you help, and that at the end of your life, you have done all those things, but you never had a relationship with Jesus. That is one of my greatest fears for us as a church. Because the call to follow Jesus is a call to die. It is radical obedience. See, it's not that we don't have a problem with obedience. We have a problem with radical obedience. Jesus doesn't just call us to obey. He calls us to just, he calls us to radically obey. He doesn't just call us to follow him. He calls us to sell everything we have, to leave everything that's comfortable, and to follow him and only him. Like, okay, whoa, whoa, back up. No, no. You know what scared Jesus more than anything? When a lot of people showed up to hear him talk. When great crowds accompanied Christ. This is why Jesus is so funny. He's so funny. I don't know how you picture Jesus. Maybe you picture him like the greatest showman. I have no idea how you picture him um, with, with, his, with his motley crew of people running out. But that's not who he was. He was a simple man who when great crowds came before him, he threw down hard words. And barely anybody was left. And they would come and question him. You know what I'm talking about, right? And his disciples would come up and be like, Jesus, that was, uh, we had a really good thing going here. A lot of people showed up, starting to give some money. And uh, you started talking about like dying and everything. Everybody's gone. Jesus says, are you going to go too? No, you have the words of life. We'll follow you. See, maybe in our lives we, we don't pray because we, we don't know Christ. Maybe we don't. Maybe we're good people. Maybe we got good things going on. We give, we serve, we tell, whatever. None of that matters. <laughs> Your church attendance doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus. It just doesn't. So when we look at this, when we think about these things that keep us from prayer, what should it spur us on to do? It should spur us on, as Paul says, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with yara and trembling, with awe and trembling. Work out our salvation. What's amazing about our relationship with Jesus is that each and every one of us one day will have to give an account for our lives before the throne of God. 
Now think about that. This throne room that we just described at the beginning of this, at the beginning of this talk, and we're nearing the end now, but at the beginning of this talk, we described this throne room where there's these monstrous angels and there's this lightning and this thunder and all these people surrounding the throne. One day, listen to me now, one day, each and every one of us will give an account for our lives. It says that each one of us will be without excuse. What will you say on that day? When you stand before the risen Savior, what will your excuse be? For many of us, we'll go and we'll say, I showed up to church every Sunday, God. That's got to count for something. God says, I never knew you. Jesus, I, I, got, a, I like, got a big inheritance from my uncle, and I gave like a bunch of money to that church. They're trying to build a building, and uh, I gave a bunch of money to it. God says, I never knew you. Jesus, I, I served watching babies in the church nursery for 20 years. And Jesus will say, okay, that one will get you in. No, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Apart from a personal relationship with Jesus, there is no hope for salvation. Why? Because we can never be good enough. We can never be clean enough. We have to have the blood of Christ covering our lives. This simple acronym, ACTS, write it down real quick, ACTS. It's a simple model for prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I want to challenge you with your family this week. Would you do this? Take five minutes. Tell God how much you love him. Just for five minutes. Adoration. God, I love you. I love you for this. You are this. Thank you for this. I love you. I love you. I love you. Take five more minutes, confess your sin before God. Confess. God, I've done this. God, I've done this. Forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness. I repent. I turn. Take five minutes and walk through thanksgiving. God, thank you for my life. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my children. Thank you for this air that I'm breathing. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my incredibly intelligent pastor. You know, just whatever you want to say. And then S, supplication. Present your needs, your desires boldly before God. God, would you heal my wife? God, would you save my father? God, would you do this? God, would you do that? God, would you work? I want to challenge you this week to do that with your family. A-C-T-S, baseline, beginning point in your prayer time with the Lord. Prayer, prayer, prayer. A discipline, but also an opportunity. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.